Okay, pick two legends. We're in a series called Legends. Pick a legend who's alive, and pick a legend maybe who's been gone for quite some time. Maybe somebody alive, a parent, maybe somebody's been legendary in your family, a coach, a teacher, a grandparent. Who would be two legends in your life? Now, there are legends in every field, sports, medicine, music. Um, Bill O'Reilly just wrote a book called Legends, and he talked about even the American Revolutionary War and how there were so many legends a part of our great nation. Uh, Hollywood, there are legends in Hollywood. There are legends in politics. Uh, Maybe not right now, but there are legends (laughs) in our political system. Um, I remember as a little boy, how many of you remember Fess Parker and the show was... Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. He played both. That's right. How many of you remember that? Raise your hands again. Yeah, you're old. That was a great, that was a great, and I love Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone could shoot that flintlock. He could throw that tomahawk. He could blow up the Redcoats' forts, and he could fight the Indians. I just love Daniel Boone. So as a little six or seven-year-old boy, that was just like something I just so looked forward to. You've got legends in your life. You've got legends around you. When we think about this great nation of ours, and we think about the legends of George Washington, Paul Revere, you know, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, what about the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? And those 56 men knew that when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they were signing their death warrants. That was treason, punishable by hanging to death. Uh, The youngest man, by the way, who signed the Declaration of Independence, 26-year-old Edward Rutledge. That's pretty pretty unique, a 26-year-old. And the oldest one who signed the Declaration of Independence was 69-year-old Benjamin Franklin. That's right. There's at least one history buff in the room. Or maybe you're a couple hundred years old and you knew that from you lived in that era. Um, So it's it's a great story. I came across a quote this past week on the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So in 1801, a man who signed the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Benjamin Rush, wrote this to Samuel Adams. So 25 years after 1776, in 1801, the guys are remembering the day. They remembered the event. They remembered what took place. And here's a quote from 1801 from Dr. Benjamin Rush to Samuel Adams. Here's what he said. He said, they're talking about signing the declaration. Do you recollect the pensive and awful silence which pervaded the house when we were called up one after another to the table of the president of Congress to subscribe to what was believed by many at that time to be our own death warrants? The silence and the gloom of the morning were interrupted. I well recollect only for a moment by Colonel Harrison of Virginia who said to Mr. Elbridge Jerry at the table, I shall have a great advantage over you, Mr. Jerry, when we are all hung for what we are now doing. From the size and weight of my body, I shall die in a few moments. (laughs) But from the lightness of your body, you will dance in the air an hour or two before you are dead. I love that quote. That is awesome. These guys are signing the Declaration of Independence and they're having a moment of fun. Well, you and I could probably only list five or six names right now of people who signed it, right? I mean, if we were hard-pressed, again, unless you're a history buff, we probably couldn't name very many of those people. It's kind of like our legend today. 
Our legend today is not that well known. It's like the Edward Rutledge, the 26-year-old, or like Dr. Benjamin Rush, who, who wrote that quote to Samuel Adams. We could all name legends in the Bible like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We know the book of Revelation. We know those, John the, wrote that. We, we, we know these great people. But we probably haven't spent much time in the book of Amos. Anybody this morning read all nine chapters of the book of Amos? Any crazy person in this room this morning? Okay, a couple of you did? You read the book of Amos this morning? Not this morning. No, this morning. No, this morning. Ah. See, I knew you were lying to me after communion. I knew that. Okay, so we don't hang out in this book. It's a hard book to grasp. My goal this morning is I want you to understand the book of Amos. He wrote 750 years before Christ. He wrote during a very prosperous time. Israel was doing great. We're making money. Crops are healthy. Everybody's happy. We're making great business, you know, expansions. This is a time when Israel was doing so very well. However, they had turned away from God. They were not walking with God. They were not interested in God. They were not seeking God. Everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes. And it's a time when nobody was living for God. I, I, we're going to go through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And I'm telling you, these are tough. If we can get through chapter 1, we can do anything, okay? So do you need to stand up? Do you need to smoke? Do you need a donut? What do you need to do? Because this is going to be tough this morning, but my goal, I'll get an email for that. My goal, (laughs) my goal, my goal is that we will learn the book of Amos this morning. And it worked in first service, and you look just as smart as they are. So here we go. Amos chapter 1. I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can. Amos chapter 1. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges, having iron teeth. Now, what, what's the deal with Damascus? Why is God so upset with the city of Damascus? War atrocities. Next verse. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza. Circle these places. Gaza. They will consume the fortresses. I will destroy the king. Circle Ashdod. And the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my head against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the Lord. Now, why is he so upset with these four places? Look what they do. For slave raids on defenseless villages. Here's the next passage. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even four, I will not relent because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom. Disregarding a treaty of brotherhood, I will send fire on the walls of Tyre. They will consume her fortresses. Why is God so upset with those places? Look what they did. Slave trafficking. They trafficked slaves in that era, in that community. Here's the next section of Scripture. Amos is a tough book. This is what the Lord says. We're just in the first chapter. For three sins of Edom, even four, I will not relent. Because she, he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land. Because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire, circle that word, Timnon, and then will consume the fortresses of Basra. Look what happened here in those two places. Hostility. They were very anti-Israel. Here's the next section of Scripture. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Ammon, even, even for four, I will not relent. Because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. 
I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries in the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Why is God so upset with this group of people? Look what happened. Brutal genocide. Brutal genocide. Bred by greed. All right, here we go now to chapter 2. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even four, I will not relent because they have rejected the law of the Lord and they have not kept His decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. And I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. Look at verse 6. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. Look what they did. They sell the innocent for silver and they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments. This is talking about now just kind of like prostitution in idolatry. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Verses 10 through 16. I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you for 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youth. Is it not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Is God fired up or what? All right. The swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will declare, I'm sorry, will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. God is so upset, and Amos is the only one who's standing up for God. Let's keep reading. We'll go to chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, on Mount Samaria. Now, why does he say about the cows? Because, again, the agriculture guys are doing great. The cows are fat. The cows are healthy. The farmers are making money hand over fist, but they could care less about the things of God. And the reason the cows are doing so well is because God's blessed them. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and you say to your husbands, bring us drinks. I guess the women were just laying around drinking all day. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going there. I'm going to let you read it for yourself, all right? The sovereign Lord is sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with fish hooks. And this happened. In 721 B.C., the Assyrians came and grabbed a hold of the Israelites and took them out with fish hooks out through the walls. Their time will be coming. They're taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Go to Bethel and sin. These were places of idolatry. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. God's being sarcastic. Okay, I love this. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leaven and bread as a thank offering. Brag about all your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs. Now he's trying to help them to turn and come back to God. In every city, in lack of bread, in every town, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and your vineyards, and I destroyed them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. 
I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with the captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you still didn't return to me, declares the Lord God Almighty. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, and yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I will do to you. This is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to Israel, prepare to meet your God. God is so upset. It's just a whole lot easier to live in the New Testament, isn't it? It's a whole lot more fun to talk about grace, isn't it? It's a whole lot more fun to talk about how the blood of Jesus covered us from our sins, isn't it? Let's go to chapter 5. Are you good for one more chapter? Can you do this? Huh? Yeah? One more chapter. Here we go, chapter 5. You see, here we hear the heart of God. Even with all this prophecy, even with all this judgment, God still wants a people for himself. Seek me and live. Do not go to Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Bathsheba because those places have been set up as places of absolute pure idolatry. For Gilgal will go into exile, and they did in 721, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing, and it was in 721 B.C. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as, he, as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. What a story, folks. What a story. I want to talk about this first lesson. I'm going to give you three lessons real quickly. Here's how this applies to us today. Number one, there's only one way to win in life. I got three lessons today. At the end of the message, I'm going to ask you to pick one of these that most applies to you. As we read through the book of Amos, all nine chapters, and I spared you several chapters. Are you glad about that? Okay. As you read through all nine chapters on your app this week, you will see there's only one way to to win in life. But Amos describes dozens of ways to lose. You can pervert justice. You can take bribes. You can exploit the poor. You can be mean. You can ignore God. You can disregard the things of God. There are dozens of ways to lose in life. But I don't think anybody in this room this morning wants to lose in life. I don't think any of you are here today because you want to lose in life. Everyone is in this room this morning because we want to win in life. And we're here to learn something. We're here to grow. We're here as a family to stick together and to stay together. So all of us in this room, we don't want to lose. But Amos is a book about losing. And there's at least 12 different ways in the book of Amos as to how you can lose in life. But there's only one way to win in life. And it always comes back to your relationship with God. And today... Because we live in the church age, it comes back to your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What have you done with my son? What do you believe about my son? Have you accepted my son? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today there's only one way for all of us 
to win in life. You've heard me say this next slide before, too, several times. When you live your life within the margins of Scripture, life will go well for you. But when you live your life outside the margins of Scripture, life will not go well for you. Now, I think you already know that. Because even if you're kind of like new to church this morning, you're back to church, or you haven't been to church in 15 years or whatever, you, kind of, you know somebody in the family who lives within the margins of Scripture. You've got an aunt, or maybe it's the guy who owns the company that you work for, but there's somebody in your life that does live within the margins of Scripture. And that person is not the fourth member of the Trinity, but that person, that person has life and peace. That person has the favor of God on his or her life. I I think you already know that. And I I think we could quote dozens of people, however, who live outside the margins of Scripture. And there's anxiety. And there isn't peace. And there's always this knotted up, stomach churning, trying to do something. You and I could list dozens of people who live outside the margins of Scripture. And so the story of Amos... And by the way, he was not a theologian. Amos was a farmer. He was a fig picker is the title of of some of his little captions. He picked figs. He had groves of fig trees. He was not a theologian, but God, no pun intended, plucked him out and decided to use him in such a phenomenal way. And the story of Amos is if you want to live life well, you live with God. And see, God then becomes your anchor. God becomes your compass. God becomes your target. God becomes your pursuit. God becomes the passion of your life. I've had a front row seat to this for 35 years. Front row seat. And I can tell you, even though believers have problems, even though believers get cancer, even though believers have car accidents, I can tell you, Believers who live within the margins of Scripture, life goes better, always goes better. I I think you know that. Well, not only do I have a front row seat to this for the last, you know, 35 years, but our our family's had a front row seat to this. In Memphis, I was a senior pastor of a church in Memphis for 16 years, and we lived really too close to the church. I mean, we were really close to the church. We live in a gated community now, and I'm not giving you the code. Uh, <laughs> so we lived, we lived right by the church. And people would come by and knock on our door all hours of the night. This happened to us all the time. 7 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. Guy would come, you know, he's drunk, and his wife kicked him out of the house. And another woman would come by, and she committed adultery and got kicked out of the house. I mean, it was just like, it was, it was, it was mature audiences only, you know. And, and so they're downstairs in our living room, come in the front door. And Erica and Ethan, they're like, Erica's like eight at, the point, at that time, and Ethan's like six, and Emily wasn't quite there yet. She wasn't born yet. But Erica's like eight and six, and, and so Erica's on one end of the house upstairs, and Ethan's on the other end of the house. We didn't know this till like two years ago. Every time somebody knocked on the door, like with some crisis, they both got out of bed crawled on their hands and knees so we couldn't see them, brought their pillows, and listened to those stories for hours and hours and hours. Oh my gosh, when they told us that, we both about had a heart attack. 
they'll be in counseling the rest of their life. (laughs) You've had a front row seat to this. You've seen this in your life. When you live your life within the margin of Scripture, it's going to go well for you. I, I guarantee you, you live outside the margins of Scripture, it will, it may not be today, but it'll be tomorrow, or it'll be the next month. It will not go well for you. That's really a story of Amos. A second lesson in the book of Amos is, is that time is running out. You only have so much time. You only have so much time to make up your mind how you're going to live. I'm not trying to scare you, but it's absolutely true. And this past week, I've had two funerals. Had a funeral yesterday for a 60-year-old man. Had a funeral Tuesday for a man not much older. Had two funerals this week. And both these guys would never have imagined at age 60 they'd be checking out. And the story of Amos is, your time's up. God is saying, I've had it. I've given you all these chances, and you did not repent. You did not turn around. You did not, I, I did all, I even had your crops go bad. I had the locusts come. You even lost some soldiers. I did all this to turn you back, and you did not repent. And so, again, I just want to encourage you. If you're outside of God's will today, you could be a Christian and be outside of God's will. It's time for you to repent. You only have so much time. But if you're not a Christian, everybody spends eternity somewhere. And it is so important that you give your life to Christ, that you get covered by the blood of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. That's lesson number two. All right, lesson number three, I don't want you to put it up yet. I want you to think about lesson number three. Lesson number three, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it yet out loud. I don't want you to answer it at all out loud. But something I want you to think about. What I want you to think about first before we introduce this is, which is more powerful Fear or love? Of those two forces, of those two power forces, which of those two are more powerful? Is fear more powerful or is love more powerful? Well, as you read through the Old Testament, there's no question that it talks a lot about fear. And Proverbs talks about this, and it says this, you know, a couple dozens of times. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says this multiple places. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As you read through the book of Amos, there's a lot of fear. Now, I think fear is good. I think fear can keep you on the straight and narrow. I think fear is the right place to start. And so if fear works for you and fear helps you to live within the margins of Scripture, by all means, I, I don't go to work tomorrow and say, my preacher said we don't have to fear God. Don't say that. Don't quote me on that. That's not what I'm saying. But what it seems to be saying is, in the Old Testament is, is fear is so powerful because it helps us to live for God. It centers us. But I think God wants more than fear. I think God wants something else from you than just fear. Now, if fear works for you, then keep doing it. Okay? Don't, don't, don't go away from fear. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. There's a point where God wants you to get from just fearing Him to being so passionately in love with Him that you're going to be the right person, you're going to do the right things because you have a heart for God. There's a big difference between fear and love. The father of that toddler that got drugged in the water in Orlando by the alligator. You see, I think he feared alligators. 
But he was so in love with that son. Now, unfortunately, it didn't work, but he was so in love with his son that he jumps in that water and he's wrestling, trying to get that boy back from the alligator. The 17-year-old brother of the girl on The Voice who got shot also in Orlando just about a month and a half ago, that brother was probably afraid of that guy with a gun. The guy just shot his sister. But he jumps the merchandise table and he goes after him because he was so in love with humanity, in love with his sister, he would do whatever it took. Don't misunderstand me. Fear is kind of the place to start. Fear of God. Only a fool would not fear God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But I think it's time for some of you to move from just fearing God. Again, if that's working for you and that's all you're at, that's good. But it's time for us to get to the place where we're here on a Sunday morning, not because we're fearing that God won't bless our business or bless our families because we miss church, but we come to church because we're so in love with Him. We can't wait to come as a family together. We can't wait to spend time with Him because we're so in love with Him. I see that love even in the book of Amos. So here's the third lesson. The third lesson is fear is healthy, but isn't love better? Isn't that really the message of the New Testament? Isn't that really what those disciples began to do? They went from fearing God to loving Christ, to giving their lives for Christ, to doing everything they possibly could to serve a great God. Well, I don't know where you're at with this. Just something I want you to think about. And so the question would be is, is, Am I doing the things I'm doing? Do I give money because I'm afraid? Do I serve VBS because I'm afraid? Do I just do this because I'm afraid? Or, or do I do it because I'm so grateful? I'm so incredibly grateful. Well, here's what he says in Amos. I think Amos, we hear the love of God. God says, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls, and I will restore its ruins, and I will rebuild it. I can't wait to restore and rebuild I want because I love my people. Okay? So they may possess the remnant of Eden, and so that all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. In other words, I can't wait to bless your crops. I can't wait to bless your harvest. This is God saying, I can't wait to get back involved in the lives of my people and just bless you and bless you and bless you. New wine will drip from the mountains and they will flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. That's God's heart. God's heart is not to punish you. God's heart is to be in a relationship with you. If you've noticed, the Bible begins and ends in the same way. It begins with God in the garden, and the Bible ends with God back in a garden, back in the New Jerusalem. And they will make gardens and eat their fruit. He's in the gardens. And I will plant Israel in their own, in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I've given them, declare, says the Lord God Almighty. You see, I think when Zacchaeus met the Lord, 
And Zacchaeus then began to give away some of his money. Do you remember what Zacchaeus did? He'd ripped off all these people. He cheated all those people for all those years. Okay? And then Zacchaeus goes back and he knocks on the door and he says, Hey, I cheated you a thousand bucks. And they're thinking, Oh, gosh, he's here again. He wants more money. Instead of that, he hands him a bag of gold for $4,000. He gives back fourfold. Why did Zacchaeus do that? Was it because he feared he wouldn't get into heaven? No, it's because he loved his relationship with his heavenly father. When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to Pilate and they asked Pilate for the body of Christ, they were so in love with Jesus that they wanted his body and they wanted to be able to wrap it and anoint it and spice it up and get it prepared for his burial. When the woman came and she took a year's wages in an alabaster jar, And she broke open that alabaster jar and she poured that perfume all over Jesus' head and she anointed Jesus. And the pungent smell just filled the room. She was so in love with him. My, My friends, I think that's the point of Amos. I had to listen to it like 15 times on my phone. I'm not kidding you before I finally got it. The point of Amos is this. I love my people. I want to do life with my people. I want to be with you. I want to do life with you. I want to help you. I want to assist you. I, too, want a people to love and a people to be loved by. So I want to put these three back on the screen and ask you to pick whichever lesson this morning is most pertinent to your life today. And when you've got your lesson and you know your game plan, you know where you need to work and what you need to work on and what you need to do next, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll close the service. How about the prayer partners come down front? And when you find the one of those three lessons that apply to you the most, you stand and we'll wrap things up. And if you're new to church and have no idea what we're doing, now's the time to stand up. (laughs) All right. Pick, Pick the one that most applies to you, and let's pray. Father God, for today, if there are folks in this room that have never given their lives to Jesus Christ, I pray that today will be their day. I pray that they will sign up even for Christian baptism as we go back to the beach on August the 14th. I pray that today there will be some decisions, that every one of us in this room will make some decisions. I pray that every one of us will recognize there's only one way to win in this life, and it's a pursuit of you. I pray that we will realize that we only have a little bit of time, and time is running out. And we're going to get involved and connected today. Lord, your scriptures are clear. We're to fear you. There's no question about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Absolutely. But I pray also that we will be so in love with you, so grateful for you, so much gratitude, that we will serve you and love you and honor you out of the overflow of your Holy Spirit living inside of us. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And we worship you today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.